Amen. I forgot one, one important announcement anyways. Uh, there's a bunch of announcements that I didn't give, but one important one. Uh, we do need more nursery workers for the Thren meetings next week. I think, I think Melanie or Jessica said maybe three uh, or four more. Of course, we'll use more than that if you want to help out, but uh, ladies, if you could help with that, that would be appreciated. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 18. Familiar passage probably to many of you, but Jeremiah chapter 18, I will say this, we had a crew out street preaching yesterday. My goodness, we had, we had over 20. Uh, Pastor Lego and I were trying to figure it out. We think 22, not including my two boys. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't count them uh, on that, and, uh, but we had, I think, around 22 uh, out at the street corner and uh, for our last one of the year. Uh, pray, I did a news interview after that. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes they don't like us. So um, pray, she seemed pretty fair. She seemed pretty good. She's part of the Oswegonian. And so uh, there, the, the, the thing that the, the letter, or the, uh, the, the newspaper they do there at the college. And so if you would, keep that in prayer. Um, she only got the gospel about six to ten times in about 20 minutes. So... Um, I kept it as simple as possible, and I'm praying the Lord will use that, and maybe the gospel will get in there somewhere. If it doesn't get into her article, it got into, got into her, so uh, pray that that helps out. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 18, uh, I do want to say this one more thing about street preaching. Uh, Brother James was envious, all right, of how many I had with me on the last day of street preaching. Uh, so next spring... Okay, y'all, we had over 20 of us out there. Next spring, don't forget how much fun it was to come out for an hour and then do something, okay? Remember that for a moment and go, hey, I should probably stop out there in, a, you know, in April as well. So that would be a help to him. He would encourage him as well. And uh, so Jeremiah chapter 18, if you would, and verse number one, uh, he says, The word of the Lord, uh, the word came, which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do this with you, uh, do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Uh, this is probably a very familiar spot uh, to many of you. And of course, it is the, it is the potter's wheel. And, and we use this often. Different people talk about this passage. Of course, we had Brother Angusath in, made this amazing vase over here. And, uh, you know, he did, he did some wonderful things on the wheel. And, you know, they're sitting there and they've got the wheel. And ultimately, I mean, this wasn't a motorized one, right? We're talking about back in the days of Jeremiah. They're using their foot to spin that and they're moving it. And it's all right there. And they're working this clay. And he's sitting there and he's working and this potter shows up. He shows up to the potter's house. And the Lord says, uh, it's strange because the Lord says, hear the word that I will, I will give thee. 
Now go down to the potter's house and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach a message to you down at the potter's house. But the potter doesn't say anything. You have nowhere in there where the potter is talking about something or doing this or doing... All he's doing is working. And the potter's working and Jeremiah is supposed to be listening. What is amazing about that is that you and I can look at things in life and all those things in life that we can look at, we can get a message out of from God. The Lord can speak to us through all these things. Oftentimes we try to discount those things. Uh, but God uses these illustrations, we call them illustrations, uh, parables the, the Lord did when He was there. Uh, of course, with the, with the disciples and with the Pharisees and all the people, He was giving them parables. What was He doing? He was giving them a physical illustration of a truth that He is going to bring to them spiritually. And that's exactly what he is doing here with Jeremiah. He brings Jeremiah down to the potter's house. Go down to the potter's house. Potter's not going to tell you anything. Pay attention. And so he's, talk, he's talking through what he's doing. And the example that Jeremiah gets to see. Now, uh, for those of us that, uh, you know, around my age probably and younger, uh, maybe a little bit older than me, you guys uh, in school, they had, they had, you know, ceramics class. And you could have taken that. And uh, they've, got the, they've got the wheels there, you know, they're motorized. They've got a little pedal on them, you know, and you push. And the harder down you push, the faster it spins. And if you let up, it slows down and you control the speed of which you're working. But every time, if you've ever done any of that, which I did, I liked that in high school. I did that. Uh, I, was, uh, I was odd. I was a math, science, and art major. Uh, I did. I liked art. I could draw. I could do those kind of things. I haven't done it in a long time, but uh, when Brother Engesath was here, I was very interested. Uh, I liked that. You say, why? I used to do some of it. I wasn't great at it. I wasn't, a I'm not, you know, I'm not making one of those pots right there, right? I'm, I, I could do some things, and I kind of liked it. It was interesting, but you know what was interesting with the clay was that no matter what you did with the clay, once you started to work with it, once you wanted to work the actual vessel and build something, your hands were always dipped in water. There was always a sponge. There's always water getting put on it. So why is that? Uh, it was done because it makes the clay softer and easily to be molded. And we understand, of course, the Christian understands in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, we have the washing of the water by the Word. And the Word of God is the thing that starts helping you to be pliable. In this life, it makes it so that God can work inside of you and can start making those things happen and change in your life. Without the Word of God and without the Word of the Lord coming, uh, the illustration is completely lost, anyways. Uh, without the Word of God, every illustration that could be given doesn't really do much. You can see how many things do you see in your lifetime? And they're a great story, and you can tell them as war stories and as your big, you know, all these things. How many of those do you apply and you look over at it spiritually? Well, you don't. You say, why don't you? Because you don't apply the Word of God to the things that you hear. Pliable. The things that you see, the things that you experience, those things are supposed to be part of our lives so that we can become the vessel that God wants us to be. Now, the Apostle Paul repeatedly refers to men as vessels. I mean, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 9, Paul himself, God says he's a chosen vessel unto me. 
He's, he's chosen and he's a vessel. Uh, he tells us in Romans chapter 9 that there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. There's vessels of wrath and there's vessels of mercy. He's laying out. You say, what is that? Those are types of men. Honorable and dishonorable men. Merciful and wrathful men. There's different, there's different vessels. He gets over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and he reminds us that if you're saved in here and you've got Jesus Christ as your Savior, he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So what is it? The Holy Ghost of God came inside of you. You have a treasure inside of you. You're the earthen vessel. He calls us these things. Uh, he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we're supposed to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. Well, there's certain things the vessel's supposed to be good for. Uh, you get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, you're supposed to be a vessel meet for the master's use. God wants to use you. God wants to be able to do something through you because of what you do and how you live and what he can do. Uh, the problem that you have here in Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah's standing there and he's watching the potter. And he says in verse number four, the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Now, you say, well, could that be the potter's fault? I have it's a regular potter. <laughs> but the problem is the potter that we have never makes a mistake. So we know it's not his fault. So then what's the problem? Well, the problem is that the clay was unwilling to move the way the potter wanted it to. It was stubborn. It was unmovable. Now, Bible believers, we love that term, right? We jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and we're like, we are steadfast, unmovable. Right? There we are. And you know what we do? We go, God, but I'm steadfast and unmovable. You're steadfast and unmovable in the wrong areas sometimes, right? I know I am. We get stubborn and we go, Lord, I don't want to do it that way. I don't want to have that. I don't want this in my life. I don't want to stretch that way. I don't want to move that direction. I don't want that to happen to me. And Lord goes, yeah, but I have this vessel in mind. And you refuse to move and what happens? The clay gets marred in the hand of the potter. And he's trying to work and he's trying to pull it out and he's trying to bring it up and he's trying to make it into what he wants and all of a sudden it tears on him because it wasn't as movable as it needed to be. It wasn't moldable. And all of a sudden you look around and you go, boy, my life is a mess. You know that makes a big mess when you tear it? <laughs> and, and you saw Brother Engesath last year, right? I mean, he had to... He's talking about all those pro products and dealing with things and breaking it down and redoing everything so that you can make it into something you can use again. And we go through all this process and all this trouble and all these things. And the problem we have is, well, what happens when everything falls apart? What happens when you and I are in our lives and we think this is going to be great, I know what God's doing, we're doing wonderful, but you've got an area you don't want God to work in and all of a sudden it mars your vessel. Things don't go the way you wanted it to go. Things seem to fail and it doesn't 
get the vessel you thought you were going to get. You ever been there? That plan was right there. Everything seemed great. Everything was, this was my plan, and my plan is wonderful. And the Lord's stretching, and you go, no, my plan is wonderful. I know what this should look like. And God goes, that's not what I want it to look like. And it mars in your hand, and it starts to crumble. And the potter's hands go, and they're going, if you'd have just done it my way. That leaves people devastated often. They're devastated as they look over the expectations that they had in their life and the expectations they had for their life and the expectations they thought God could accomplish through them. And they look at it and they go, what happened? And they're devastated. They don't want what they have now. And they think, well, God can never use me. God, why would God use me? I'm damaged goods. You hear that all the time now, right? They're damaged goods. They're used up. I mean, they've got such terrible things in their life. Oh, they've done all this or they haven't done all that. And they, you know, I mean, honestly, what could God do with you? That's the way the devil would love you to think. The devil would love you to think that God doesn't like you. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care. He could never use you. He could never fix it. He could never take care of it. Because why would he do that for you? You're just this marred vessel. And so this morning, I want to preach a little bit on the marred vessel and tell you, God's never done with a marred vessel. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get into it. Father, I do thank you for the day. I thank you for bringing us all into this place, and I pray that this message would be a blessing, an encouragement, a help, a strengthening. Father, for those that are here, and maybe today they don't feel this way, but Father, maybe they felt this way in the past, and they'll remember a little bit about how great you've been to them to bring them out of that idea and out of that thought. But Father, maybe there's somebody here who's never had this thought, and they're going to go through some things here soon, and I pray you'd bring this to remembrance. Father, I thank you that you are a wonderful God who takes the disappointments that we feel in this life and can turn them into the greatest things that have ever been. Lord, I am so glad to know that you can, Father, work with marred, broken, what seems to be a failure to everybody else, you can take and make it into the greatest successes of all time. And so, Father, I do pray that you would be with me as I preach. Give me wisdom. Help me to say things just the way you want it said, that it would minister grace to the hearers this morning. Lord, I don't know if someone has come in today without Jesus Christ as their Savior, but I do pray if they are lost and they do not know for sure heaven is their home, I pray they wouldn't leave that way and they'd call upon Jesus Christ today to save them. And Lord, I do pray you'd help us, Father, to recognize that you are still a wonderful God no matter what happens in our lives. Lord, we do pray you would meet with us today. We love you. Come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first thing uh, that you've got to recognize, when things are going bad and things are going off and, and you feel like this is bad and this is terrible, remember number one on the list is remember God is always in control. God is always in control, right? He's the potter, right? He's sitting at the wheel. He's there. Who controls the speed of the wheel? Well, the potter does, 
right? I mean, whether it's whether it's you know the old style, what what uh, of course Jeremiah is probably seeing, where they got that foot and they're running that foot across that board at the bottom and they're getting the whole thing to spin and they're working. However, if he wants to slow it down, he just puts his foot down a little bit and slows it down to what he wants. Those new ones, right, the ones that we would have, they've got that foot pedal and that motor spinning and you can slow it down and speed it up and do whatever you want. Who controls that? Well, the Lord controls that. You ever feel like everything's spinning out of control? <laughs> You're going, I can't hold on to anything. I don't know what's going on. And the Lord's going, yeah, don't worry about it. I'm spinning it. By Him all things consist. You realize we're in a universe that's spinning around and things are moving and all these moving parts are happening. And you know what? God's going, I got it all under control. So how does it all work? By Him all things consist. That's how it works. You say, well, what about the science of it all and can this be that and this that? All I know is He's got it all under control. Uh, I mean, all it is to Him is the span of His hand. I mean, I guess He could probably control a universe that, that small. That's all it is to him. Well, can he reach down and control whatever's happening in your life? I mean, he does it over and over again. We look around and you know what we say? Well, you know, am I really in the hand of God? Well, you get to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ is talking about his sheep. The sheep of his pasture. The ones that follow him. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. <laughs> right? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your shepherd, as your savior, then this part's going to mean nothing, but I'll get to that in a minute. But the truth is, God is always in control. Saved or lost, God still is in control of what's happening. Realize that the devils are under His power still. They are restrained by His will. If He doesn't allow something through, it doesn't get through. We learned that in Job, first book that was ever written in the Bible. You find out very quickly Job, that Job is perfectly secure and whatever boundaries get removed are removed by God, not because Satan broke through anything. You find out very quickly that the things in this life are done mostly by mankind's decisions and their poor decisions, but God still allows the question then comes, well, why does God allow evil in the world and all these things? And the truth is, and I won't get into it very far, the truth is God loves mankind. We're the object of His love. We're the ones that God has placed His love upon. If you can't figure that out, John chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible, explains, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The love of God is shown because He decides He's going to give His own Son for the debt of the sins of the entire world. Now here's the thing. Love is always a choice of the will. The emotions are there and all those things, but love is a choice of the will. God chose to love you even though you were a sinner. He chooses to love you. You say, well, what's the big deal? Uh, well, if God is the only choice of love and affection, it's not a choice. There is no choice. Worship isn't worship if you have, a tr if you have no other option. That's just servitude. Say, so, so what does God do? God allows sin into the world. He allows darkness to show up. He allows Lucifer to fall. He allows Adam and Eve to have a choice 
Lucifer's fall is ultimately part of a greater plan. Say, what was the greater plan? You and I. The greater plan is you and I know that we have a choice between ultimately God and Satan. It's a choice. God is fully in control. You say, why does he allow it? So that you'd have a free will choice. If you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. And it's not love, and it's not worship, and it's not adoration, and it's not, it's all just, well, who else am I going to go to? Well, who else is there? And then you turn into Calvinism, and that'll get me all in the weeds, and we're not going to do it. If you have a question about Calvinism, you can talk to Pastor Lego later. <laughs> Haven't done that in a while, I felt we needed one of those. Um, and so you can talk to him all about it. He has all the answers. Um, but notice, if you are one of his sheep, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are on your way to heaven, his statement is, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and no man is able to pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. By the way, at that statement, the Jews wanted to, wanted to stone him. They were done with him there in John chapter 10. And he's sitting there, you know what he says? You're in the potter's hand. Here you are. Well, then I'm in control because you're in my hand. God's going, I have it all under control. When have you ever seen anything out of God's control? Oh, you've seen it out of your control. Oh, a lot of things out of your control. Everything practically is out of our control, right? They're trying to make it so you don't have any control over anything. Anyways, don't. Boy, a lot of ruts to fall into this morning. Um, keep it straight, amen? Uh, and you know what you have? You have a God who has never been out of control. When you remember that not one thing has ever surprised God that is an amazing thing. We get surprises. We get far too many surprises some days, right? Some days it feels like everything is a surprise. Nothing is going right and everything is going wrong. This is, come on, can one thing go right? And then it surprises you when something goes right. See, isn't that wonderful? Uh, we are surprised. We don't know what's coming. We have no idea. Do you think God's ever been surprised? I mean, he knows that everybody's going to sin, and if he's going to fix that, before he even laid the foundations of the earth, his son, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, is killed before then. The Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. He goes, I'm laying the foundations. You know what I know? They're going to need a Savior because they're going to mess this whole thing up. God just knows. He doesn't choose it. He doesn't make you do it. He just goes, I know how this is going to go. What's the plan? I got a better plan. And over and over and over again, God is never shocked. He's never amazed. He's never blown away. He's never like, oh man, what are we going to do now? Could you imagine God turning to the cherubs and going, hey fellas, you guys got a plan? I got nothing. Right? I mean, look at the angels. Hey guys, I don't know what to do here. This caught me off guard. He has no need of that. And he looks at your life and you know what he goes? I know it's about to happen. It's okay, though. It's okay. It's not out of control. It's not out of control. 
Say, why is, that so, why is that such a comfort? Because the reality is, God always likes to work with marred vessels. He always does. I mean, you look over the Bible. Outside of Jesus, who's not marred? And then he was marred for all of your transgressions, by the way, just a side note. You realize that there's not one person in the Bible that's not marred? by sin, that hasn't had a failure. You know, God, not only is He in control, He knows that you're just, you're just clay balls. <laughs> you're a pile of dirt that He put some water on, and He got it moving. He got this clay, and now He's slamming it down on the wheel, <laughs> sometimes violently, to get it to stick. And He starts pouring that water of the Word over the top. And he starts working. And it hurts. And sometimes it's not pleasant. And sometimes it's not as smooth. And sometimes he finds something in there he doesn't like and he's got to kind of pick it out and then try to keep fixing around it. I remember working with some clay and, and it's spinning on the wheel, you know. And uh, I was working and I started to work it up. And there was something in there that I hadn't seen. Just a real hard... It wasn't good clay at all. It was a solid little chunk. And I almost cut my finger wide open with it. I had a little, I had a cut with it. I had that wheel spinner. I started to push. And man, it was in there. You know what I had to do? I had to reach it. I had to stop the wheel. I had to get in there with one of the tools, and I had to just pick that thing out of there to get it out. And then I had to start and rework that section again to try and smooth it back out and make it usable. You realize the Lord's doing that constantly with us? He's working on that thing and he's moving it and all of a sudden he goes, ooh, that's not so good, guys. If I'm going to keep working, I need to get some things out. And as he starts working that way, you know what he finds? He finds that you and I also find that, you know what we are? We're all marred. But God's not going, oh, well, this is junky. You know what he says? Ah, it's just always in the clay. You get to Psalm 103 in verse number 14, and he says that he remembers that we are but dust. By the way, it served you well to remember you're just dust. Um, say, why is that? Because uh, when you make a mistake, whatever happens to us, we make a mistake, and you know what we do? We have a tendency sometimes to just keep pounding on ourselves and telling us how terrible we are. This is a spot where the devil steps in, you know, and the devil goes, hey, you know, uh, boy, you're pretty lousy. I mean, you did all these things, and it's obvious God can't use that afterwards. I mean, what more is he going to do? I mean, you're obviously put on a shelf. You've done these things. I mean, it's obvious that you're just this terrible vessel, and God could never use you because you're so messed up. That's what the, that's what the devil tries. That's what your flesh tells you because it doesn't want to go ahead and submit to anything that God wants. That's what your mind starts doing and starts spinning around. The devil starts whispering in your ear telling you how terrible you are. Your mind starts playing and how awful I am and what a failure. And oh my goodness, we could never fix this. And how could we ever? And I don't know. And it's obviously beyond cause. And there's no way to get it right. I mean, how do you even start to fix anything? 
You ever been there? Boy, what a failure am I. And the Lord says, uh, no, you're just clay. You're just clay. You know, sometimes you have to remember that you're just, you're just clay. And the mistakes are happening, but all he's doing is finding the places where you need some work. And you need to clean it up a little. And you need to make it so that your vessels meet for the master's use. And the Lord looks at you and he says, it's okay, you're just clay. We'll do it again. You're just clay. I'm bound to find something in the clay. You say, well, I don't really, you know, I mean, isn't that an excuse to fail? No. It's just the reality of failing. The reality of failing is we all fail. We all fail. I was talking with that uh, lady yesterday, getting an interview, and, and we were talking there at the street, and I said, uh, you know, one of the things she had asked me, and we were kind of finishing up, and she had asked me about, uh, you know, what people perceive of us, and, you know, what do we do with these, these businesses, and do people ever yell at us, and, you know, what would I like these folks to know about what we're doing? And the reality that I wanted to try and convey to her was that, uh, number one, we're not out there to make anybody mad. I'm not, I'm not there to just yell at somebody and tell them how terrible they are. I said, our message is very simple. It's that I'm a sinner just like you are. I'm no more holy than anybody else in that respect. The only difference between me and another sinner is that I have Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if they don't, they need him. And I'm trying to convey this to her, and I'm hoping it comes out maybe in the article. But when you look around, you realize we're all sinners. We may be saved sinners, but we still mess some things up. And sometimes we do a better job after we got saved than before at messing things up, right? I mean, sometimes. Uh, I mean, I got saved at seven, so I did a whole lot worse after seven than I did before seven. All right. So I know that we can be a whole lot worse after the day we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior than before. But that does not make us an unusable vessel. God goes, you're clay. You know what we can do? We can keep working. Remember this. Everybody else is clay too. You know, the difficulty we have is that we don't like forgiving other people because we don't remember that they're just clay too. They have faults and they have failures. Whether it's in your marriage and your spouse is failing on their part at that particular moment, maybe you need to go, hey, we all fail. We all fail. Maybe it's a friend of yours that just seems to be a little off today. Well, we all fail. So what's going to happen? If you don't forgive, you know what you end up with? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. You'll fail. If you don't take into account that everybody else is going to fail, you know what you'll be? You'll be the one who fails to extend grace to them and you'll be bitter at everybody who's failed you. The Lord's going, I need to get that out of the clay. 
I need that out of the clay. I need to get that worked out. And sometimes it doesn't want to come out. And it mars in the master's hand. You know, you look over at Hebrews chapter 11, down that hall of fame of faith, right? Look down and you hear those names. You hear the names coming down that list and you think, whew, I could never be like. But let's take a real look. All right, let's take a real look. I mean, I know how he lists them there and he never lists anything wrong in Hebrews chapter 11. Like these people were amazing, right? I mean, Abraham never doubted. Sarah certainly wouldn't have laughed. I mean, honestly, why would she do that? Right? I mean, all these people are like absolute perfect people, right? Unless you look back at Genesis and you find out, mm, maybe not quite so much. You realize Noah is listed? And after he completes his task of building an ark to the saving of his house, he gets drunk, becomes a failure. You realize that, uh, of course, Sarai, she decides that she's going to laugh at the promise of God that she would have a son. Abraham, of course, doubted. Jacob was just a straight-up deceiver. That guy, that guy deceived everybody <laughs> on purpose. He was a liar and a cheat. You get to Moses. You say anything bad about him? He murdered somebody. What are you talking about? He murdered him, hit him in the sand, and hoped for the best. Then he ran when everybody found out about him. Rahab was a harlot. Gideon's a coward. Barak needed a woman to stand up before he would. Samson makes the cut. All right, if we're going to low bar it, Let's throw Samson on the list and act like he's just so fantastic. Samson was about as carnal as you could get. That guy was awful. Say, where'd he make it? Hebrews chapter 11. Jephthah makes a terrible vow. And David, the great king of Israel, adultery and murder. Well, yeah, but I mean, those, those people, I mean, of course, God would. What? They're nobody special. They're men. They're women. Say, so what, was, what was so great about them? Well, if you keep trying, God keeps working. If you're willing to get back on the wheel and go for another ride and see what God can do, he's willing to go again. You realize that when Samson is there at the end of his life, it's one of the most amazing things. He is there. They're so foolish. The Philistines are like, yeah, let his hair grow. Who cares? We already got him. We already plucked out his eyes and we already like made him look terrible. We've already beaten him. We've already put him in servitude. He's in chains. You know, let's just bring him in. We can parade him around as his trouble. Well, his hair's already back. And he says, Lord, if you do it one more time, you hear that? You hear that? Just one more. Lord, let's try one more. But you wouldn't be willing to give him another try? Why? God knows your clay. You know what he's up for? He's up for one more try. And usually, you know what he says after you mess that one up? He goes, how about one more? Let's, let's do it again. 
And there's Samson, and he's reaching for those pillars. And it's just one more time so he can push them down and get vengeance on his enemies like he was supposed to. And boy, he was terrible. So am I. So am I. And so God gave you a church in Ephesians chapter 4. He goes ahead and lets you know it's for the perfecting of the saints. If the day you got saved you were perfect, that would take care of that. You wouldn't have to worry about it. But the problem is you and I are not. And so we come together and we look at a Bible and we study a Bible and we read a Bible in private and we go ahead and start learning and growing and trying to do. And God says, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna to get this piece out so I can perfect you. Uh, we're going to get that piece out. Now we're going to add some of this. We've got to get more of that water in there and try and clean that out a little bit so we can smooth it out just a bit more. And then we're going to take some more stuff out. And then we're going to smooth it out a bit more. And he just keeps working. And if you're willing to be worked on, he'll work. His promise is in Philippians chapter 1 that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it onto the day of Jesus Christ. If you're willing to work, he's willing to work. If you can let him work, he'll go ahead and work in that, th that clay on the wheel. Work in that clay on the wheel. Work in that getting the vessel to do what? To be exactly what he wants it to be. Because the truth is, God can always make another vessel. Verse number four, he said, so he made it again, another vessel. Say, yeah, but it's not going to be that good. I mean, it failure. It can't be good as seemed good to the potter to make. Look at that little phrase right there. As it seemed good to the potter to make it. Well, I could never be good for anything again. Potter says, I can make you good. I can make you good. You realize the day that you got saved, salvation is the first step right here. You know what it is? It's the same clay, that same chunk of nothingness. That dirt ball right there that he poured water on and he made it into something. He did that. You know what he does? When you got saved, he says, you're a new vessel. He made you new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we're a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You realize that since Jesus Christ gave his life a ransom for many, Jesus laid down his life to die for the dead of the sins of the whole world. The day that Jesus Christ was crucified and paid your ransom so that you did not have to spend eternity in a lake of fire, so that you could have a free gift of eternal life handed to you by God, so that you could go ahead and be a new vessel. That's what he did. Well, yeah, but my old one's marred and it's hurt and it's damaged and I'm just damaged goods. I mean, I've sinned and 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 I'm still sinning. Don't I have to clean it up first? Why? That's the potter's job. It's not the clay's job to clean up itself. Since when would that ever work? Instead, you know what you have? You have the potter go ahead and fix and he starts anew. I've messed up my life. Salvation fixes that. You say, well, you know, I mean, does it just take care of all your problems? No, it takes care of the biggest problem. 
The biggest problem for you is your vessel is about to go into a very large fire called the lake of fire. And it's going to stay marred forever. And it's going to be a place of torment and Jesus Christ has done everything he needs to to make sure you don't have to go there. He paid the debt of all of your sins. He offers a gift of full salvation. He offers the gift of eternal life that he promises to those who would believe in him and trust him. The Bible says that Christ Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And his promise is, if you'd believe in him, you'd put your faith that Jesus died because you are a sinner and you call upon him to save you, he will save to the uttermost. His promise is that God can forgive. The statement comes, who can forgive sins but God alone? The Bible says that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. People have tried to figure out a way to get rid of their guilt and their sin and their shame. And their, there's only one thing. And it was the blood of Jesus Christ shed that day at Calvary. And he died for your sins. Just as much as he died for mine. Just as much as he died for anybody else in the world. He gave his life. And if you'd be willing to call upon him, the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know what he does? He takes that clay that's been marred and damaged by all the things that's happened to it in its life. And he goes, well, let's fix that up a little bit. And I'm going to make a new vessel. And he starts over. And he starts molding you into what you can be. And what you ought to be. So yeah, but we get marred over and over again. We always get marred by the choices we make. If you're in here and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know what? God's going ahead and giving you choices in your life. Choices to go ahead and choose to follow what He says and what His command is. Choices to go ahead and make things and do things the way that He wanted you to. To follow His commandments and His statutes and His judgments and all the... Right? And He gave you a book so you could go ahead and turn the pages and find out what He wanted and what is required and what would be best for you and how you should live. And then sometimes we read it and we say, "Mm, I don't want to. Say what happens? We get marred. Christian gets marred because they allow... They allow sin. They allow all these other pieces into their life. And then what do they do? They're no longer moldable. And the Lord hits that spot and it mars in his hand. And he goes, that's okay. I know you're clay. I know you're clay. And then he asks this question. Would you be willing to go again? Ultimately, the choice is going to be yours. God's not this weird dictator, right? He's not like, hey, trust me or you die. No, it's, hey, I'm here. You can trust me. If you don't, it is a lake of fire for all of eternity. But it's your choice. I just tell you the consequences of what happens. 
You trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's heaven for all of eternity. You don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's a lake of fire for all of eternity. Throughout the scriptures, it's very simple to see most of the time what God blesses and what he doesn't. And all he does is say, this is what I bless and this is what I give you and this is what I can't bless and this is what will happen. That's all he does. And then he says, you choose. Christian, he does that to you all day long. You get to choose and to choose and to choose. Joshua makes the statement, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choice. You say, well, it was commanded in the law that they were supposed to. Yeah, but Joshua made the statement, you get to choose whether you're going to follow that or not. Choose. I'll tell you this. Our salvation comes because he decided to take that same clay and make a new vessel. Christian, your sanctification comes because he takes that clay that you marred after he gave you a new life and he started it all over again and uh, he goes ahead and you mar that, you know what he'll do? He'll make a new vessel. So why don't you do this? Why don't you remember you need to salvage some things in your life? We waste a lot. We waste a whole lot. We look around and we go, none of that's useful, so I'm going to throw it away. So you know what we do in our lives? We take our friends and we throw them away. Instead of going, God could make that new. We take our church and people go ahead and they toss the church aside and they say, ah, who needs it? Well, you know, those people, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. They take fellow Christians and they just toss them away. They take their children and they say, ah, I can't do anything with them. They're not moldable. They're not usable. We can't do anything with it. We'll just throw them out. God could never. They take their marriage and they do the same. Well, God, you could never fix my marriage. I'm just going to throw it away. Well, you know, God, you could never uh, go ahead and rework this ministry and do this and do that, so we're just going to throw it away. Well, God, you could never use me, so I'm going to throw myself away. Say, what's the problem? So we made it again, another vessel. The problem is you throw away too many people. You cut them out of your life and you push them aside and you say, that, I don't need that. And God won't fix it. And, and, I don't, and you don't believe God could take a marred vessel. Even though he's done it for you repeatedly, you think God could never do that for somebody else. Just push them away. You know, the truth is, God always wants to make it new. They're still breathing. You know what you get? You get another chance. You're still breathing. You know what you've got? You've got another chance. To do what? To go, God, I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you mold me. I'll let you mold me. We'll start over. You know, verse number four. Look at that verse again. I'm wrapping up here. But verse number four, he says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. 
and too many people stop right there. Well, it's marred. I guess it's done. What more am I going to do? My life's too messed up. Their life's too messed up. The situation's too awful. Everything's too terrible. You know what the Lord says? I didn't stop that verse there. So we made it again another vessel. As seemed good to the potter to make it. I heard a preacher one time talking about this passage. You know what he said? He said, a good craftsman with good materials can make great things. Brother Bacon and I do a lot of projects around here. We're not the greatest. I'd say we're good, maybe, sometimes. <laughs> but we were working on a project this past week. We are buttoning up some of the things in the kitchen over next door, putting up trim, and... Uh, we're cutting, and we're not perfectionists. We're thankfully, because we'd have been there forever trying to make that look perfect. Uh, but the truth is, you know what? We had good We had good things to work with, and we could do the job. Neither one of us are trim carpenters. We're not up there, you know. Nobody pays us to do that job. But the reality is that if you've got good materials, good equipment. You can do a great job with just about any of that. But a real craftsman, a real master of the craft, you know what they can do? They can take the worst of materials and still make something amazing. They can still, I mean, whew, I, you marvel at some of the, think, I mean, You've got all sorts, all sorts of examples that you can look around at. I mean, I'm not a huge proponent, but the Sistine Chapel, could you imagine working on that at that time period? I mean, they're not up in a scissor lift taking care of this, right? They don't have, they're not using spray guns. I mean, this is, this is painting on. And they're usually making their own paint to do it. And do it. That's incredible. The things that people who are absolutely masterful at things and their craft and they hone it and the things that Brother Andrew can do on the piano as he works through, he can pick up new songs, he can work them out real quick and beautiful. Beautiful work. Some of the folks, they play the instruments down. Beautiful work. They strive and they work for it and they master the craft. Preachers get up, you know, and most of the time I feel terrible for you while I'm preaching because I'm going, I've not mastered my craft. It's a constant honing of trying to do it better the next time. The idea is we try to master, and you know what? I have the best materials. <laughs> I've got a Bible that's perfect. I have the best materials. You know what I can come up with? I can come up with, I can do good things okay. <laughs> and I've got perfection to work with. Imagine what God does. You think just for a moment at the beauty of creation. At a fallen creation. 
at the impurity of what you and I can see and the greatness of what God has done. And then you look at yourself and you realize, I'm not that great, I'm marred. But in the potter's hand, he makes terrible materials become some of the greatest treasures you will ever find. Don't discount him. You may be going through some things and the pressure's on and things don't feel great and God's working and you can feel it and you don't like it and everything's not the way you want it to be. And God says, okay, but do you trust me? That in the hand of the potter, I can make the vessel that I need. If you trust him, you'd be a vessel of honor, meet for the master's use. And it'd be a beautiful thing. Say, so, yeah, but I'm messed up. God loves messed up. It makes him look better when he takes lousy things and makes them great. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I think it's amazing that God never really cares about getting the great things. He always wants the least so that he can get all the glory when he makes them great. Because when you sit there and you recognize, can the clay say to the potter, what doest thou? Nope. Say, so what's the clay supposed to do? Mold to the hands of the master. Would you be willing to mold to the hands of the master this morning? Maybe he's doing something in your life now. You need to mold. Let him get it out. Let him smooth it out. Let him water it and get it there so that you can go ahead and be the vessel that he needs you to be. Let's go ahead and stand. Not a barnstormer of a message, not real loud, not real crazy. But boy, the truth is God is working on you. If you're saved in here, he's working on you to try and make you the vessel he wants you to be, to do what he needs you to do. And if you're lost in here, he's working on you now. And he's working on you now to let you know you need a savior and that he'd be willing to save to the uttermost if you'd call upon him. Maybe you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've never heard that Jesus Christ can save you. Maybe you don't even understand what that means, that he'd forgive you of all of your sins. I'd ask that you'd come down front and get my attention. Some folks are coming and they're praying. They're dealing with the Lord themselves and we won't interrupt anybody that does that. But maybe you need some questions answered. What is this eternal life you're talking about? What is this heaven you're talking about? We'll gladly open up a Bible. You get my attention, we'll open up a Bible. We'll show you out of the Bible. We'll answer your questions out of the Word of God so you can know that your sins are forgiven forever and you can have eternal life. If you want to know that today, we'll gladly show you. If you're in here today, Christian, you need to just get a hold of the Lord and let Him know you're willing to trust Him. And you might not know what He's doing, but you're willing to trust Him. Let the potter mold you because he does know what he's doing. He's in full control today. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation to him now. Help us, Lord, to be able to resign to the will of the Father. Be molded the way you need us to be. That Jesus Christ will be praised throughout our lives and glorified. We love you. Father, once again, we pray you'd bless in Jesus' name. Amen.